invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm going to read there the first 18 verses of that chapter, page 1074 of your Pew Bibles. John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. You'll see the headings there, the empty tomb, and then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. So the inspired John writes early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she went over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And I'd like to look at that in light of Lord's Day 18. And in your form, prayer and form books, you'll find that in page 218. Question and answers 46 through 49 on the following page. So the instructor asks, what do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, We have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge 
By the Spirit's power we seek not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what a remarkable day that must have been. I think of that last Sabbath that really needed to be celebrated, that Saturday then for them must have been just a brutal time, hey, for those women who loved Jesus so much and the disciples. The disciples have gathered together after leaving Jesus high and dry on a good Friday. Jesus is dead. Jesus is in a tomb. They can't go to be at the grave on Sabbath because you can't violate the Sabbath by attending to a dead body, and that would be work on the Sabbath. And these women are waiting in horror and in sorrow. What a day of rest that must have been for those women. And as soon as they can, the next day, and you can imagine that they were not so focused in on that Sabbath rest as they were, we need to get to the body of Jesus. Because as yet, as we have read, they did not believe that he was going to rise from the dead. And we get the story, especially from Mary Magdalene's point of view. And she's weeping and she's crying and she gets to the grave and the rock is rolled away. And there is in that tomb the strips of cloth that used to hold the body of Jesus, neatly folded and all taken care of. And she hears from the angels and and she finds out what's going on. Jesus Christ is no longer there. The women had already gone to tell Peter and John about these things. John, being the younger man, beats Peter to the tomb. He looks in, he sees all of these things, but Simon Peter being the impetuous one, it's a word, pet, right, is, is Peter, his name is involved in that word. The impetuous one runs right in and takes a look and wonders and can't quite understand, but they never really understood that he was going to rise from the dead. And they go home. We read that John believed, but what did he believe? We don't quite know or understand. But Mary Magdalene is still beside herself. And she's crying, and she's weeping. And then she sees a man, and she doesn't recognize the man. She thinks the man is a gardener. And he asks her, why, why are you weeping? Well, they, they've taken the body of my Lord, and, and I don't know where he is. They wanna, she wants to honor that body. She, she's confused now. She's deeply filled with sorrow. Do you know where he is? Take me there and I will take and go and get him. And then the power of the word of the Lord. Remember that the gospel of John starts with that. In the beginning was the Logos, the word. And by that word he heals people. And we read that in John 1, by him, the word, all things were created. There is something powerful in that word. So then just as Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, get up. And that dead man can somehow hear and obey because the power of the word makes him alive, so now the power of the word makes that blind Mary see. She needs to see Christ. She couldn't even see who he was. Mary, Rabboni, it's you. And, and she does, I think, what we all would have done. She hugs him. And she holds on to him. And then Jesus speaks those deep words, those beautiful words. And he says, Mary, don't hold on to me, for I have not returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, 
I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. It's the words of Ruth, isn't it? When she said to Naomi, that your God will be my God. And now Jesus makes clear what must happen. That you and I also would not cling to an earthly understanding of Christ. As so many in our world and even in the Christian church want to bring Christ down and have him once more rule on earth... We need to understand that he is ruling the earth, as we heard this morning from Psalm 2. God has appointed him and anointed him, and he is ruling the world, and he is going to come to judge the living and the dead, and he is there for our benefit. He's there for our advantage. Mary needed to learn this, and we need to learn this, and every new Christian needs to learn this again and again. And Jesus had said that to the disciples in the upper room before he died. And then he said to them, I'm going to have to leave you. I'm, I'm going from you. No, no one asks where I'm going, but I must go that I may send the counselor and he will teach you all things. It's for your advantage that I am leaving. And earlier in John 14, I am going. And I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I am that you may be. In my father's house are many mansions. I'm not going to leave you like orphans in John 15. But I'm going to come to you and I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ ascended to the Father for the advantage of his people. First of all, we'll see the union of heaven and earth. And then we will see the union of God and man. What a remarkable thing. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ who was dead is alive. No one actually saw him resurrect. The sense isn't by the way that the angels or that the earthquake moved the rock away from the tomb from the other gospels, but that Jesus in his resurrection passing through that tomb caused that earthquake and caused all of these great and amazing things to happen. Jesus Christ is alive and he stands there in front of Mary still in his human, not yet completely glorified form. There's a mercy in that. There's a grace in that. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he took on a physical presence because if he had walked around in all the glory and the majesty of his divinity, everybody would have just been knocked over and dropped dead. We think of John later on in the book of Revelation when he sees the glory of Jesus Christ, he falls as though dead and then Christ comes to him and says, no, 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 John, it's okay. Come on up. He gives him his right hand and he he steps him up. But if Jesus had walked on the planet in that way, nothing could have been accomplished for the work that he needed to do. And the work that he needed to do was to take on human flesh to become the new Adam. He needed to undo what Adam had done. So let's go back to the beginning for a minute. For in six days God created the heavens and the earth. We heard that in the law this morning. We know that Adam and Eve fell into sin, eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment that they did it, they became dead to Almighty God and took upon themselves the thing that they were dead. But mostly what happened is they lost the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. It would need to be restored. And they lost that full-orbed power of having dominion over the earth that was rooted in the image of God. That God said to Adam and to Eve, and never forget that, women, that you two were created in the image of God and that man and woman together were to have dominion over the earth because in the image of God, they thought the thoughts of God after God. They willed what God willed. They understood the things of God. Naturally, we could say. Because that's the way that they were created. Did they know everything? No. Were they uh, perfectly 
uh, advanced and everything? No, the whole point was they were going to explore the earth and understand it. But everything that they would do in enjoying the earth and exploring the earth and actually having dominion over the earth had to do with that idea that they would do it after the will of Almighty God. You had a union of God and men of heaven and earth joined together in these two people. And it was a beautiful and a remarkable thing until they fell into sin. And then there was brokenness. And man began to have dominion for himself and for his own glory and to explore the earth for his own wealth and for his own prestige. And then there was the church coming in beside. And as we heard this morning, there is this antithesis that has between the seed of the woman and the seed of the man looking forward for someone to rule the earth once more in righteousness and truth. And then through the history of the church of Jesus Christ, God presides first fathers of the patriarchs. And they are to lead their children in in building the kingdom of God. And then we move into uh, the prophets who speak the truth. And the priests who intercede for the people of God that they may worship him in spirit and truth. And then we had the kings who were to rule with the word of God by their side. Thus Israel, having the prophet, the priest, and especially the king, would give a little taste of the glory of the kingdom of God in terms of its perfection that was yet to come. But they all fell short. The prophets came and went. They died. They were human. The priests came and they went. Some fell away and others of them died. And each high priest needed to be followed by another high priest. And certainly the kings made a mess of everything. What a disaster. We needed somebody greater, somebody more powerful, somebody who was able to perfectly bear the image of God. And so what Adam wanted to do to be like God had to be undone by God becoming like man. That Jesus, the Son of God, for you and for me, took on human flesh. He had to die to take the fallen human corruption, sin, condemnation upon himself. Take that upon himself. Take it out of the vision of Almighty God, dying as a curse on the cross, God forsaking him. You must believe this. You must hold on to this. You must embrace this. Even as much as he had to be laid into the grave, as the catechism has been laying out for us, those steps of humiliation, then leading up up from the grave, he arose, as we heard this morning, that beautiful Easter hymn, and now he has ascended into heaven. And he needed to do that. For our advantage. Don't cling to me, Mary. Don't hold to me. Maybe Mary, but probably the disciples. Because even just before Jesus ascended in, in John 20, but then also in Matthew 28 and also Acts, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still wanted an earthly kingdom. They still wanted a Jesus, even a resurrected Jesus, to rule over Rome to rule over Greece, to bring back the Davidic glory and the Solomonic splendor. It was all about them and and their nationalistic pride. They didn't understand what the resurrection would mean. God is building a kingdom and God needs a king. God needs a new Adam. God needs someone who will bear the image of God, the new Adam, with his church, Eve, and together Christ is being fruitful And multiplying that with and through the church, every day new members are being called out of the world into the darkness. From within the church, our children, 
Many of us who perhaps don't give our lives right away within the context of the church, but then also those who come from outside of the church because God now has Christ ruling so heaven and earth are now together. You know, some people talk about the book of Acts, that it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But really the book of Acts ought to be called the Acts of Jesus Christ because he is the one who is working from heaven in this earth. Is he human? Absolutely. Is he glorified human? Absolutely. Our bodies will be transformed like his glorious body, but not yet. That's always our eschatology. There's an already, Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He has resurrected. He has gone to heaven. He has called us through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's one of the advantages that because he went there, John chapter 15 and 16, that I will send the counselor. He will explain everything to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We understand. We come to faith. We are resurrected. We are born again. But we still live in this body of sin, in this world of sin, looking forward to the perfection. But now there is Emmanuel on earth, God with us, first in Jesus Christ, who comes to earth on that marvelous Christmas day. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace through Good Friday. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To Christ the Lord has risen today. Alleluia, hallelujah. Heaven and earth is joined, beloved, because God in Christ has come as God to man, and man has come to God in Christ. And now he rules through the church of Jesus Christ. This is the place of heaven on earth. You are the representatives of King Jesus. But you cannot do that unless Christ is with you. If Christ isn't with us, even to the end of the age, as he has promised, then how can we do that? And if Christ is on earth in Jerusalem, how is he going to do that in Thunder Bay? Or in Sheffield, Ontario? Or in China? Or in the United States? Christ is ruling the earth In heaven, as the one who cannot fall into sin, as the one who will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as the one who will never fall into sin, who will never be corrupted. He is the ruler. And how do you know? Because the church is still standing. The gates of Hades can't prevail against the church. There's two ways to understand that, right? I think in our mind, we think about gates. Right, And then we think about the gates of Hades as, as the um, headquarters of where the army worked and that Satan is going out into the world but the church stands up against it. But more likely it means what Jesus says is you all are going to go into Thunder Bay and you are going to kick down the doors of Satan, death, and hell. You are going to kick down the doors of darkness. You are the light shining in that darkness and the gates of Hades cannot prevail against you. Do we do enough? No. Are we courageous enough? Absolutely not. Is something happening? Yes. In spite of us, here we are. On a Sunday afternoon, there's lots of other stuff to do. And our children are learning in another room. You think Satan's happy about that? You think Satan's happy about you singing and praising God? I always have to laugh when I think of all of you people sitting listening to some 60-year-old balding guy talking for half an hour. That's got to be God. How great and glorious is our God. Heaven and earth has been joined. Don't cling to Jesus. I know we love our earthly kingdoms. 
I know we love our homes and our retirement funds and our work. Men, oh, we just love our work. And women, we just love our children and all of those things. And it keeps us down here so that we forget about looking out there because we forget about where we're going and who we represent and the joy and the wonder of it all. Jesus is in heaven. If we die tonight and we die in Jesus Christ, we will go to be in heaven. And one day as Jesus Christ is truly man and truly God, not just soul, but body and soul joined together, as Apostle Paul writes, our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. He's alive and he has ascended. Mary, don't cling to me. Don't keep me down here. I got bigger things to do. Mary, in time, read the book of Revelation and and read what the king is doing. Remember that, that everybody in heaven, we read in chapter 4, they're weeping because no one can open the scroll. And the scroll is, is the revelation of Almighty God into the future and the wonder of what's going to happen. That Jesus would say, in all things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And then the Lamb of God, who had been slain, who is the Lion of Judah. What a beautiful picture that is. A Lamb who's a Lion. Says, I can do it. And I'll open it up for you. And the book of Revelation gives you appearing into the headquarters of heaven, speaking to the church on earth, suffering and in tribulation, and going through very, very trying times, to the end where we are gathered together at the great wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride that he loves. Because Jesus is in heaven. You have brothers and sisters in Africa and in Indonesia and in the Middle East and in Toronto and in Sheffield. And you have brothers and sisters you've never met. But one day you will meet them because heaven is ruling earth again. And because heaven is ruling earth again, God and man on earth are being joined together. So what is the benefit then, right? Mary, don't cling to me. Well, first of all, he's our advocate in heaven. Mary, I need to go so that I can go to heaven to bring your prayers to Almighty God. And then when you couple that with Romans chapter 8, he actually sends to us the Spirit who groans for us when the words don't come. Have you ever been that way, beloved? I think Mary was there. What do you pray when a child is wandering away? What do you pray when your wife is dying of cancer? What do you pray when you're going through a problem you simply cannot solve? Have you ever been in that place? I've been in that place. Caught my own addictions, caught my own sin and horror, and just cry out. I don't even, it just ends up being, ah, God. And the Holy Spirit changes that language. I need your help, please help me. So that the prayer that Jesus gives through the Spirit comes back to God with the answer, but I will help you. And I will take care of you because I am with you. And because my divinity, says Christ, is everywhere present. I can be with you that no matter where you pray, I will be in that room with you. Prayers are going up from prison cells and from dungeons and from battlefields 
and in famine and in wealth and government offices and hospitals and in churches. If all of us on the planet, if all of us six, seven billion, would all pray at once, God could hear every single prayer through Christ who brings it for us. Our advocate, the one who speaks for us, vocate to voice, add for, the one who is our voice in heaven. That no matter who would accuse us, and the only one who can accuse us is Jesus Christ, who is coming to judge the living and the dead, and said, but Father in heaven, I died for them. I gave my life for them. And the Father in heaven says, yes, well done, my son. Well done, good and faithful priest. Mary, don't cling to me so that I can bring your prayers. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in John 17? I pray, Father, that you do not take them out of the world, but that you leave them in the world, that they may see that they are one, that they are one with me, and that you and I are one. God has left you here because Jesus' prayer was that you would be left here, that you would be a praying people, that you would be a people who are being used by God to pray on behalf of people. You are still a priestly class. I don't know about our intercessory prayers. You know, evangelism begins with our prayer for our fallen ones, for the wandering ones, for the ones who don't believe Almighty God. Father, help them. They know not what they do. Father, us to bring the good news to them. Father, we need you. And that those prayers going up, he then comes and he blesses that, that you now might be his prophets here on the earth. That all around the world, the soldiers of Christ's army, the church militant, is battling the even evil one with the sword of the Spirit. And in the lives that we live, living for Jesus, in the great hope that we have, that even if we should fall in battle, even if we should die, we have a pledge of our own flesh in heaven, a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Mary, don't cling to me here. I need to go up there that you might have hope. What will happen to you when you die? I hope all of you can say that soon I will be done with the trouble of the world going home to live with God that I'm going to be with Jesus. And I, to be careful with this, but we can get sentimental. Oh, you know, I can't wait till I'll die and I'll go see mom or grandma or my husband or wife. No, our desire is now to go to be where Jesus is, where everyone is your brother and everyone is your sister. And you will love everyone intimately in a way that we just cannot simply understand this side of glory. But in that hope, in the reality of what the conquering Jesus has done, that no matter what happens or no matter who comes against us, if God is for us, know who can be against us. Beloved, you will go to be with Jesus Christ on the day that you die. Believe it because Jesus is in heaven. And when he comes again, your body will come up out of the grave and it will be joined together with your soul. And you will live in the new heavens and the new earth forever. No more crying there. No more dying there. 
We're going to see the king. Do you believe? Amen. Because that, beloved, gets us through the day and gets us through the dark night of the sorrow and struggle that we have. Mary, don't cling to me. I've got to go to be with the Father, your Father, and my Father. Did you ever think about that, that Jesus said that? My Father is your Father, but that makes Jesus your brother. It's amazing, isn't it? Our oldest brother, to be sure, the firstborn of the dead. But if he's the firstborn of the dead, that means others are coming. Mary, don't cling to me. I am going to ascend to my Father. Finally, he sends his Spirit upon earth. A corresponding pledge by the Spirit's power. We seek nothing earthly. But the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. This is the big radical mind flip that you and I need. As a pastor, I need to stop thinking about the church here and growing the church and the success of the church and the happiness of all of God's people and all of that stuff that happens. I need to think about Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and what he is doing now. He has joined me to God to do the things of God. I'll tell you a little story. When I was going through some master's work and uh, the professor asked two Reformed guys, there was another man from the Canadian Reformed Church and me, and we were sitting there, and he asked us, what do you do? What do you do in your ministry? And we said, oh, we teach catechism, we preach two sermons a week, we do funerals, we do weddings, we visit, we do this, and we're pretty busy. And then he stopped, and there was a lot of first-year students, like seminary students there, and then he said, then what's God do in your ministry? What does Jesus do in your ministry? And we both looked at each other and said, oh, he kind of got us, didn't he? Because it's not about us. It's not about this congregation. It's not about your work, first of all. Your work is about him. Your work is about the kingdom of God. Your work is about the great commission. All the other stuff is gravy. The wages that we make, the husbands and wives, the children that we have, uh, the single joys that we have, the trips that we get to take, the beauty of the world, and all of that. All of that is a gift for us, and it it brings us joy and pleasure. But in the trying and, and struggling times, we need to focus back on why does God have us alive, and why are we born again? Why did God give us the Spirit? So that you know where Jesus is, you will be, and it should give us a singular courage. Where we read in Hebrews chapter 12, that Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, has run the course, follow him. You know now where you're going. Take off all that hinders you. God has joined himself to man in Jesus, and Jesus is in heaven. God has joined himself to man in Jesus from heaven so that we can be the ambassadors of heaven, of the kingdom of God here on earth. But our treasure, beloved, needs to be weaned from this earth. And God has a way of doing that. The new car gets scratched. The new music gets old. The iPad, I need another generation of it. 4G, LTE, 5G. Fashion is old. Haircuts need to be changed. And, and, and earth's treasure is just so empty. And then Jesus gives us the spirit and says, you see where I am? People in Thunder Bay, Al, Mary, don't cling to me. 
Don't pull me down here. Do you see why it's so wrong if a minister comes and stands to you and says, God wants you to be rich. God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants you to have everything that you have. It is what we call a triumphalism that you can have heaven on earth now. The Bible doesn't allow us to say it. Heaven is coming. We still got to go through the journey now, beloved, but the journey is worth it. The trial and the struggle will be met so that we with Paul can say that when we die, we are being poured out like an offering and that he will give to us the crown of salvation. And say, well done, oh good and faithful servant. Mary, don't cling to me. It's for your benefit that I go to be with your father, that where I go, I will prepare a place for you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that the marvelous thing when God is joined to man on earth? I think we see that maybe the most powerful thing that we have as a church is a funeral. I've just buried my father and my mother. I've just done a few funerals again. And, and one of the remarkable things about Christian funerals, and we had people come in who had just been at some funerals of, of people who believe nothing and some memorial service, and they came and they couldn't believe. And you know what it was? The singing. How can you people sing? Somebody just died because they're singing way better than we're singing. We can't even imagine the beauty of their singing because they're with Jesus. Some of you people probably my age remember that song, I Can Only Imagine. What will I do when I stand before him? Will I dance? More likely, I think we'll just go, oh. but where Jesus is, we will be. Do you believe? Then look forward to the glory that's coming and live out of that sense of glory, enjoying what God gives to us. But don't pull Jesus down to make our life heaven on earth. Sometimes it's been said of Reformed people, and of, if you're not Dutch, but Dutch Reformed people, that our idea on this earth, and especially in Canada, is I come to Jesus, and then I live in the Holiday Inn, and then after I die, I get to go to the Heavenly Hilton. That's not what this is about. This is about fighting and living for Jesus a life that is true. And trying and struggling. You see, beloved, because Jesus is in heaven, your work matters. Your marriage matters. Your gender matters. Your talents matter. Your gift matters. Your, your humor matters. All of it matters. God is using you in Thunder Bay to tell others about where he is. And it would not be possible if he wasn't in heaven. Mary. Mary, don't cling to me. The new Adam is here. And he is having dominion over the heavens and the earth. And he is being fruitful. And he is multiplying. And he is bringing salvation to his wife Eve. And soon he will come again and all of us will go to that wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride that he loves. Hallelujah. Blessed are all who are invited to that wedding. And so, beloved, don't cling to Jesus. But respect him. Love him. Serve him. Kiss the sun, as we heard this morning, lest he be angry with you. And so, beloved, you got a job to do. And as you walk out, you'll see you're entering the mission field. Go forward in courage, in strength, and in truth. Go forward in hope. And soon, and very soon, we're going to see the king. No more crying there. No more dying there. Beloved, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
we're going to see the king. 